peace with God. It paves the way for the love of God in your life, as we're taking a look at today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Join us. Romans chapter 5, it's an amazing chapter out of an amazing book, and that's what we're focusing on here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called The Results of Justification. We're in Romans chapter 5 today, keying in on verses 5 through 8, so we take a look at the love of God and the fact that you and I, as believers in Christ, can experience this love of God. Won't you join us? From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Well, we're in uh, Romans 5, and I originally was going to give you all seven points to preach, and then my, uh, I came to my sanity last week and realized it's too deep and wonderful. And so what we're going to do today is talk about the great love of God that is given to us in salvation. And so let us read chapter 5-1, and we'll go through 5-8. And I'll just review where we were last week and then pick up the love of God. Therefore, since we have been justified, that is declared right before God, because all things against us have been taken care of through the death of Christ, since we have a declared righteous standing through faith in Christ, these things have come along with that. Number one, we have peace with God. The war is over. Uh, we who were enemies of God have now become children of God. Two, we've been given a permanent standing in the favor of God or the grace of God, through whom, Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now permanently stand. Strong verb there. We've been established in the sphere of grace before God. Then it goes on to say, and in this very condition before God, we've now been given a prospect of sharing in the glory of God in the future. We are living and rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. There's more to come. And when God manifests his glory, instead of us looking forward to wrath, we're looking forward to glory. And that's a part of our prospect and hope. Then he says, uh, while we're making the journey from earth to glory, there's plenty of pressures. There's plenty of trials. There's plenty of uh, hardships. But he says, we know some things about hardships now that were never true of us before. We know that God has a purpose for our pressures. And he's shaping our character. He's not trying to kill us. He's not trying to eliminate us. It's in the business of shaping uh, the iron into a tool. You just get the raw metal. We don't know what to do with it. We've got to heat it bang on it, shape on it, in order to make it the tool. And God calls you his animated tool, his tool for service. Then he comes and he says, this hope we have is a hope 
that will not disappoint us or make us ashamed that we ever hoped in God. Right out of the Old Testament. It will not be you hoped for it, but by the time the time got there, you were ashamed or disappointed in what happened. He said, no, this hope, this expectation will not meet with disappointment. Why? Because of what God is presently doing in our heart, what we are presently experiencing, and that is the unexplainable love of God that has been poured out in our hearts. And he says, to describe this love, he says it's been poured out. And then he goes on to describe the definition and the dictionary of God's love will from now on always be at the cross. You've got his dictionary for love opens at the foot of the cross. You've got to go to the cross to see whether God really loves you or not. And I meet with Christians, I don't know if he loves me. I don't know if he loves, what would he have to do to prove it? Well, give me a new car. Give me a new boyfriend. Do something for me. No, no, no. God wants to take you back in history. And we're going to be looking at that. Uh, we're going to look at the love of God in verses 5 through 8. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Now, we want to look at three things. The love of God has been experienced by all those he has justified. We experience the love of God in our heart. Two, we want to look at how he defines it, and we'll say, we'll look at how God's love has been expressed in history. We experience the love of God in verse 5, God gives us how he expressed it in verses 6 through 8. And then I want to conclude with the great prayer of Paul. Just take a short look at it in Ephesians 3, that he is praying that the love of God will be expanding in our knowledge and comprehension all the time. And if that's not going on, you will never mature. A mature believer is the believer who's come to feast on the expanding understanding of the love of God. I find the critical, I find the harsh, I find the Pharisees, the know-it-alls, are those who always major on something other than the love of God. They major on prophecy. They major on, they cut every doctrine straight and don't look for mercy from them because the love of God is what they know the least about. But the sign of the mature believer is the believer that's the most loving believer in this place is the most mature, and he doesn't have to pass a Bible knowledge test. 
When you know the most about the love of God, that, he says in Ephesians, brings you into the fullness of God, which is the mature state of a believer. God wants you to be thoroughly inundated with understanding his love. And it's an amazing thing. The people in whom this love had been poured out, Paul is now interceding for that they will begin to apprehend and grasp what it means. And they are the very church that left it. So we want to see what he says to us about the love of God. Let me say this. The love of God is one of the most difficult doctrines in all the Bible. It's a difficult subject. I read a book some time back by Dr. Don Carson, a New Testament scholar at Trinity, a brilliant New Testament scholar. He wrote a book called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Because the love of God is used in multiple ways in Scripture. And I'm going to just give you the five ways he said it's used. Because here's what we never think about. The Bible says, we grew up on this cliche, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. But when you read the Psalms, and I just ask you to read the first 20 Psalms and underscore how many times God says he hates the sinner. He just says, I hate the wicked. Well, who do you think you are, God? You can't hate anybody. Yes, I can. When you start the book of Romans 1, when God says he's going to pour his wrath out on you, uh, interpret that any way you want, but it's not his favor. He is not a benevolent Santa Claus up in heaven that all we want to do is preach one attribute of God. He's love. What about he's righteous? He's so righteous he can get angry. Now, God can't do that. People won't come to church for that kind of God. People won't serve that kind of God. Well, that's the only kind of God we've got revealed in the Bible. You don't get to invent your own God unless you're an idolater. We accept the God that's revealed himself. He says in Romans 1, I am pouring out wrath. I'm showing my wrath at present. There's a coming day of wrath because a part of my whole being is my holiness, my righteousness, and yes, I do love. But he says he hates certain behavior and he hurts, hates those who do it. Now, that's very difficult for us. There's five ways the love of God used. John 5 and John 14, there is a unique love that is shared between the Father and the Son. It penetrates. It's, it's overwhelming. It's so deep that when you read the Upper Room Discourse, you see how the Son came because he loved the Father. The, the Father sent the Son whom he loved. It's so deep that when you become a Christian, it's as though God brings you in between the love that's permeating between him and the Son, and he puts you in the middle, and like it microwaves you. I always think of Elizabeth, my girl, that every time I wanted to hug Carolyn, we'd be in the kitchen, she'd be in her bed. Every time I hugged her mother, it seemed like there was a call that said, run, get in between them, and boom, we'd feel this little girl in between us. I'm just trying to get a, you know, a husbandly hug, but that girl is like magnetic. Boom, what are you doing here, Elizabeth? I want to be hugged too. Well, okay, get in there. We crushed her ribs, but we went ahead and hugged. And when you become a believer, you're brought into the embrace of the Father for the Son. You're just getting in on God's love for each other. And you're just brought into the family and sphere of love. The second way it's used, although the word love is never used, it's used of God's providential care that God provides for all men, seasons, 
rain. I thank God for the rain we got. We were facing drought. God gives rain. He gives seasons. He gives health. He gives kindness to all men. There's no man could ever say God has not loved him in that sense. Your very breath. He was there in the womb. Your parts were put together. He oversaw. So God is unmistakably good to all men, the wicked and the righteous. It rains on the just and the unjust. God overwhelms all men with a multitude of benefits. Over and over. Providential love. Then thirdly, you have God's salvation love that he extended to the world. God so loved the world that he loved them. He brought his son into the sphere to offer his love and to invite all sinners to come. And in that love, he loved the world. And the word world in John 3.16 is not referring to the bigness of the world, but it's referring to the badness of the world. When the word world is used, it's not usually talking about terra firma, real estate. It's talking about a system opposed to God under the control of Satan. And so he said, I came and sent my son into the world of bad men to show my love, that I really love them. And even a man who will never acknowledge God, God will always bring up his son in the cross. What did you do with this gift? I don't ever say I didn't extend my love. I emptied heaven of the second person of the Godhead and I went to show the world of bad men how much I love them, how far I would go to reach them. The fourth use of the love of God in Scripture is God's selective love, God's elective love, that God loves some people in a way that he doesn't love others. You hear a verse like this, uh, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. And boy, we go zonkers over that, don't we? Why did he hate Esau? Let me ask you another question. Why did he love Jacob? One is as hard as the other. And he says to Israel, of all the nations of the earth, I have loved you. All the nations. He didn't say America. He said Israel. I've loved you. I loved you when I called out Abraham. And so you see many places in Deuteronomy chapter 4 to chapter 10. I have set my love on you, Israel. You are the apple of my eye. You are different. And all of a sudden we're saying, God can't do that. He can't just pick a nation. He did. And then he comes over here and he says of his church, the church that he loves, which he bought with his own blood. I don't know about Hitler, but I know I was on Christ's mind when he was on the cross because he loved me before time. He loved me in an elective kind of love. I'm in the family. I'm not just a chump, and you are not either. If you're in this family, it's because the Father chose you, and nobody was voting on it, just him. He chose us before the foundation. This is God's elective love. God loves his own people in a way he loves nothing else. His fifth kind of love is his conditional love among his people. He tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God. He tells us to walk in his love, which means that uh, there's a condition there that you won't always be necessarily experiencing the love of God 
unless you're keeping yourself in it. You're, you're staying close to him. All things are working together for those who are disobedient to God and running from God. No, no. You, you better get a whale suit if you're running away. Or, or at least take swimming lessons because God's got a whale for you. Uh, it's working for the good of those who love God. Now, he always is working in the life of those he's chosen in spite of them. But you won't see many things happen for good in you and be able to interpret it that way unless you are actively loving him. So we come to this difficult doctrine of the love of God. And he's talking here of his elective love for the, his saints that when he saves them, he does something that's overwhelming. He just gives them a bath in the love of God. He just overwhelms them. And let's look what it says. Verse 5. Hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts. The first thing you want to note here is the love being poured out is God's love for you. This is not talking about your love for him. Get that. God has poured out in the heart of the justified. Those who've come through Christ. He's poured out in your heart his love for you. Now, that is remarkable. One of the first things that you will uh, come, become overwhelmed with when you come to Jesus and you come to know him is that God's love for you, you will never feel more loved in all your life. You never feel like anybody loved you like this God, and you will be right. And there will be that sense that it has come over me. Now, what we'll have, be looking at in the verse is this, that somebody will write you a doctrinal statement, God has loved you deeply. Or will this be experienced by you? Watch what he says. This hope does not disappoint because God is poured. And this word poured is the same word used on the day of Pentecost. He poured out the spirit on them. It meant to gush. Uh, it was effusion. It meant an abundance of whatever you gushed out. To spill out. To spread it out. And where did he do this? In your heart. In the core of your being, where you think, where you feel, where you choose. The Hebrews thought of the heart, not as the pump. And, and we always do this heart and brain stuff. You serve God between your ears. The pump has nothing to do with it. But when you use heart and you use head, what we're trying to say is that it's not all just cognitive. And it's not all just emotional. But you see, God never did have that kind of trichotomy going on. When you love God with all your heart, he gets your will, he gets your intellect, he gets your emotions. You're not all chopped up. You don't just get to pick which one. Well, I'll love him with my emotions, but not with my head. I'll love him with my head, but not with my will. The Bible knows none of that nonsense. If you're never emotional about God, it's because you don't know God. And if you're always emotional, but you don't love truth, you don't know God. And if you're over here, you know a lot, and you think you feel something, but you never choose to obey, you don't know God. You can't split it up. You serve him with your whole heart. 
And the whole heart is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And he said, when I gush out this love in the heart, how much I love, I will affect the core of their being. Their intellect will know it. Their emotions will feel it. And their will will be moved by it. I will gush it out in their heart. And who does the gushing? By the Holy Spirit who is given to them. It is the job of the Spirit. We used to sing a song, I can't, when God dipped his uh, love in my heart. There was an old song. It was the idea that there was just like a bucket of uh, love, and God just took and just painted it all over my heart. He just gushed all over me, poured out on me. He says, this is what he does for all the justified. They've entered into an experiential relationship with God so that they could say on my worst day, I know God loves me. I know I'm loved by God. And the reason we know it's God's love for us is because verses 6 and 8 describe God's love. So we know what's under, under study here. And what did he do? He just gushed over. You know what? I didn't know what justification meant until I'd been saved about eight years. I didn't know what election was until I'd been saved about 25 years. Predestination, I'm still trying to spell it right. There's a whole lot of stuff you did not have to know when you got saved. But let me tell you what I could tell you. I feel loved by God. I'm not afraid of God tonight. The wrath of God is not what's filling my heart when I got up from that altar. It's the love of God for me that's overwhelmed my heart. What we have a great lack of in the church today is experiential Christianity. Because anytime you go to experience, you start looking at those groups you don't like. There's some of you that are not saved. You've only got a few right answers bouncing around between your ears, but you've never experienced the love of God. You've never had that overwhelming gusher of God pouring out in the heart of the true believer this sense of being loved by God. Martin Lloyd-Jones believed that this was even not. He said, I've seen so many dead nominal Christians. I think this only happens as a second work of grace, which is amazing for a, a thriving Calvinist as him. He said, and not everybody experiences this. This is what I saw happen in the Welsh revival. I've seen this only happen in revival, that believers are overwhelmed with the deep, deep, deep love of God for them. Let me just give you a statement that all, all religions boil down to one of two kinds. The most common religion is this. I must perform well in order to be acceptable to God. I must perform well. I must have obedience up here. If I can cut it straight, by the time I get to the pearly gate, I'll hear him say, you passed. Christianity starts this way. You've already been accepted on the basis of what Christ did. Now start performing like you've been accepted. Start acting like it. That's Christianity. My dad had a very moving childhood phrase he used on us kids. It'd go this way. If you've got any brains, act like it. You've heard that, haven't you? If you've got any brains, act like it. And God says, if you know me, act like it. If you know me, 
Act like it. And you know what? You act like who you know. You act like who you know. And he says here, the love of God has been gushed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And this is my initiation into, he says it right in Titus 3, 7, that God has gushed abroad in regeneration. This love God has for us. But I cannot tell you how many Christians are hung up on this. I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I'm not good enough. And they're right. They're not. But the foundation of our Christianity is not on us impressing God, but God having impressed us. Our series is simply entitled, The Results of Justification. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Closing out a broadcast today, we would remind you that copies of the broadcast are available. Simply call and request the series, The Results of Justification, and we'll get a copy out to you, or just a simple copy of today's broadcast as well. You can also get these resource materials off of our website, valleybible.org. Here's where to call, 855-833-9864. And we would love to hear from you, especially if you're feeling led to partner with us financially and prayerfully. No gift is too small. To become a TFT sustainer, simply contact us and let us know that you're willing to link arms with us as we continue to minister the gospel of Christ here in the greater Bay Area. You can call 855-833-9864 or stop by valleybible.org. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, once-a-year special gift, and access to Take a Break, which is our weekly video, our devotional video, with Pastor Phil. It's all available when you contact us at 855-833-9864. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Pastor Phil Howard.